to me, there's always going to be the newer, the younger, the this, the that, the whatever. You know, how do you stay valid and pertinent? And how do you, you know, you could be the best dancer in the world, but if people don't like you, you're not going to, you're not, you're not, they're, you're not coming back to that place. Welcome to Belly Dance Live podcast. My name is Jana Komarnitska. I'm a full-time dancer based in Toronto, performing a variety of Middle Eastern and Central Asian dance styles, including belly dance. You can find me at janadance.com as well as on Insta or Facebook by Jana Dance or Jana Komarnitska. I'm happy you've decided to join us for this weekly dose of dance inspiration because here on this podcast we explore all nuances and insights into lifestyle of ballet dancers and we are having amazing star guests who share their stories secrets and tips with you this episode is brought to you by my inner dance a lifestyle and fashion brand inspired by ballet dance there you can find a great selection of different items starting from training outfits that can definitely enhance and inspire you to train even more and with more energy to very cute items for day-to-day life that will remind about your dance and help to bring your passion into your everyday regular life uh, that can be a great option for a cute gift for yourself or even for your friends. One of my favorite items is definitely a mug uh, with a lovely image of dancer and drummer and a cheat sheet with the most basic and common ballad dance rhythms that are very confusing often so it's always good to start the morning on a dance mood and with a little reminder about those rhythms. You can find all a great selection of different items at the website myinnerdancer.com Hello, hello everyone. How are you doing? How's your dance practice going? I am finally back to Toronto after a long time of traveling and I'm looking forward to get back to my regular practices. But also I decided that this month I really will focus on developing and pushing this podcast uh, because... uh, This project involves not only me putting uh, interviews out, but also trying to reach more and more dancers. And I really hope that soon we can at least double our audience. And uh, the reason why I am really on to this task is not even just because this podcast is my podcast or I'm the host of it, but just because I truly believe that this kind of a platform and environment is really amazing, a platform for many dancers to get knowledge, get insight that usually we don't get while just watching dancers performing on stage, but actually to get insights, share experience with each other, understand that we all share the same struggles and some maybe already possibly found some solution of them so to hear experience of each other I think it's very valuable to development as a dancer so we're not just focusing on technique but actually developing our artistic souls too and with that task in mind I actually already took a couple of steps and one of the steps was I sat down I took 
15 minutes and I decided to write reviews and give ratings to my list of favorite podcasts. Just because I thought, okay, if I want people to give reviews and write ratings to my podcast, Ballad Dance Life, might as well I need to start with myself as a listener. And although I have some podcasts that I listened years and years, I never really stopped to write reviews and share my thoughts about that. So I decided to that it's finally time to do it and start uh, with myself. Someone says that if you want uh, to get something, first uh, give it to someone else. <laughs> so send in uh, messages to universe that I really want to push this podcast. And one of the things uh, that you can help me with uh, is actually writing a quick review uh, uh, yourself because uh, I know a lot of you listen also on the website, so that's great too. But I also know that many of you list- are listening to this podcast via apps, including iTunes app, including uh, Google Play, and uh, it takes just a few minutes to click that uh, five-star rating and maybe even uh, write a quick uh, review as a message there. But it really does help to promote this podcast because what happens, the more reviews, the more active listeners we have, the higher this podcast comes on the ratings of those apps. And then the more people can actually see it. And some may even be interested in listening to this podcast, those people who are not dancers. So Basically, your ratings and review not only help to spread awareness among dancers about this podcast, but may actually help to even uh, uh, popularize the ballet dance in general and maybe sparkle someone's interest of, huh, what's that? Ballet dance? The whole podcast about ballet dance? Let's listen. And maybe someone after listening even decides to go and try a ballet dance class. Who knows? Anyway sharing my little uh, win of this week. I literally did it uh, yesterday and I sat and wrote uh, reviews myself for the podcast that I personally listen and hope that uh, uh, maybe someone of you will get inspired and follow this example and help me with uh, promoting this uh, uh, podcast too. Because the more we spread awareness about this podcast, the easier it is for me to get awesome guests uh, for you to share their uh, knowledge and their experience and have really deep and uh, thoughtful conversations with amazing artists who you usually admire just watching their performances or videos or sometimes lucky to attend workshops but now we have opportunity to get insights into their day-to-day life and one of those amazing guests is today on our show and this is Vanessa of Cairo. And this artist will definitely surprise you because uh, uh, even despite the beginning of her story was quite uh, similar to many, many of professional ballet dancers. She studied uh, studying ballet dance and even performing back in USA and then she uh, decided to move across the globe and now she resides in Cairo. But there are many projects that are very uncommon for foreign dancers to participate in that she managed to take part in, including she was one and 
only and maybe even till this time it is the truth but she was at that time at least the first and only american ballet dancer who created a production company in egypt not just a group of dancers to support her own show but actually created and managed the whole entertainment production company also this conversation it literally gets better as it goes, so still to the end, because you also will hear about her current project, that she participates in a play staged in Balloon Theatre, the government theatre, and uh, as much as they are very, very conservative with any uh, ballet dancing involved in the play, you'll hear about her experience, how she is still participating there as a dancer, and we uh, talked a lot about uh, funny comparison between what uh, in Egypt is perceived as uh, appropriate dance and uh, appropriate dance to classical songs that are very, very common in that uh, uh, play that she's participating in, as well as uh, opinions of... Uh, let's say, foreign ballet dancers or dancers outside of Egypt of what's appropriate dancing to such songs as Alf Leila or Sertar Hob. Really super cool, interesting conversation. Blew my mind and I'm sure you will be surprised uh, too. So stay till the end. Also follow her activities on social media. She's really one of those dancers who I wish she was putting a little bit more online on social media so you can discover more about her. But uh, she truly does awesome and very unique uh, stuff. So for sure, make sure that you... Uh, follow her current and future activities. And just before we dive into the actual interview, a quick thanks to our supporters. Guys, applications are now open for Jelena's new BD experience in New Bern, North Carolina. Join Jelena and her directors for this challenging intensive and performing a new pre-dia production, The Wizard of Oz. Applications close April 30th. Also, catch their debut for The Wizard of Oz in Los Angeles on Friday, March 29. All details are at their website, balladandsevolution.com. Hello, Vanessa. Welcome to podcast. I'm so excited. We are finally, finally managing to get together and talk and discuss all your projects and dance activities. So welcome to the show. <laughs> Yay! Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you reaching out, and it's a big honor to you know be able to have the opportunity to talk with you. You've got such a wonderful platform for sharing all these great stories and advice from uh, from dancers all over the world and. It's just great to be here with you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I know you were just recently traveling. How, how did your trip go? <laughs> oh, it was really good. Um, I, every year I really try when I do my work in America because I'll, I'll go for like one or two events per year and I always make sure that I get to see my family and you know it's kind of sad because we always miss Christmas and New Year's and all of those things and uh, so it was great that this event I was teaching at the East Coast Classic in Virginia Beach which was a really really wonderful event 
um, in January. So I was able to go to Texas, which is where um, originally after that, and spend some time with my family. And then every year I, I've started my own annual intensive that I do there. This was the third year. So anyway, it was really successful. We had the biggest attendance so far, over 40 people signed up and it was wonderful. So got to see my family and uh, got to see a lot of dancers that I see every year. And it was just, you know, it makes you feel good to start off the year on a good foot like that. Yeah, I was just about to mention January, uh, dancing events in January is the best way to start New Year. <laughs> I know, uh, it's like, kick it off. It's like, you know, you just maybe ate a little too much at the Christmas party. So time to work it off, time to get back in gear. And after the break, people start to feel like, you know, it's time to take action. So it's, it is perfect. Mm. Uh, so you are now, you reside in, in Egypt, but you're originally from uh, U.S. Uh, so I would like to start <laughs> with my yeah. first question. Like, how did everything start? It? Um, do you remember your very first interaction or that thought, that moment that you had, that thought, oh, maybe I should attend a ballet dance class. And do you remember your first impressions about ballet dance? Absolutely. I, I could never forget it if I tried. I'll tell you, I've, I, I loved it. Yeah, I've been dancing since I was a kid. Um, when I was around four years old, my mother put me in ballet classes. And um, when, okay, so I'm from Texas, but they had moved away. And when we moved to Texas, uh, they had built a house, but they didn't quite have the money yet, you know, to, to fill all the rooms with furniture. So that was lucky for me because the living room was actually empty and the, the den had, had the couch, but the living room became my dance room. And I was jumping all around and doing leaps. And, you know, anyway, they were like, okay, let's put the girl in ballet classes. Well, I got really upset when they finally did get the furniture because it destroyed my, <laughs> my studio space. Yeah. So, so anyway, all the years I was taking ballet and tap and jazz and really loved dancing. So in school, my parents uh, always, you know, they let me do these fun activities if I got good grades. So, of course, I did well in school so that I could continue to take dance class. So I was always dancing and always enjoying that. And it was in high school, I went to a Renaissance festival. And in America, they have like uh, these Renaissance fairs. And I bet they have them in other countries too. But um, in America, it's a really big deal. Like people, they tour and they go all around the country and they have different dates. And these fairs and festivals, are, you know, they've been going on for many, many years. And they're very well attended. So I don't know, I was maybe 15 or 16 and uh, I, you know, was just going with friends and I saw these belly dancers. And of course, I was just like, oh. I, you know, like I didn't even want to go anywhere else. I just wanted to go and see the shows. And there were two dance troops, one on each side of the fair. And I just basically went from one side to the other, back to the other, back to the other with the schedule. You know, it just all I did was watch those shows and I got a pass to the fair so I could go. It was like a weekend's pass and you could buy like unlimited so you could just keep going to the fair. And they probably thought I was a stalker because every weekend I was going to the fair and just soaking it up and watching these shows. And I was like, I, I have to learn how to do that. I loved it. I loved the music. Um, so my first belly dance teacher, her name is Mia Bella from Fort Worth, Texas, and she has a studio called 
Crescent Moon Belly Dance Studio. And when I do my uh, annual intensive, this is usually where I where I hold it um, in her studio. But she was one of she was she and her friend Louisa were uh, dance partners. They they still um, run the studio together, but they were dancing and they were the first ones that I saw. And at probably by the end of the season, you know, I got up the courage, you know, to go up to her and say, you know, do you teach lessons? And I signed up with her and, and started and yeah, I'll never forget it. It was, for me, it was like a magical moment. I I was just like, I have to learn how to do that. So yeah. And so we're still friends. We're still in touch. And uh, it's actually really, really cool um, to be able to look back and Sometimes I'll find old pictures. Uh, I spent my 18th birthday. Uh, I took all my friends. We went to see her perform um, at a restaurant. You know, so uh, it's kind of like from the moment that I saw Middle Eastern dance, it became completely part of my life. Oh, wow. That's such a cute and amazing story. And uh, it's so great that you can still uh, keep in contact with people who were in the very, very beginning of your ballet dance journey. That's so amazing. How old uh, were you when you saw uh, ballet dance in that uh, fair trade? I would think I was around 15 or 16 because I... I remember I had to, I guess by the time I signed up for the classes, I was able to drive myself there. But, um, you know, I was, I was pretty young and I was definitely, when I got to the classes, I was the youngest in the class and the girl, the next girl closest to me was maybe 18. Like the girl, her, her name, um, she went by the dance name Naraya in, uh, in Fort Worth, Texas. She is the one who got me my first gigs you know, like a year or two later, you know, after, and of course it was probably too soon to start performing, but you know, just some of the local restaurants, she's the one who got me actually performing. She said, here, come here with me. This is a place where I work. I want you to meet the owner. And I think she wanted me to be working there because I was, I was so nice. <laughs> I wasn't going to steal anybody's job. No, I'm, I'm laughing because it's funny. Like I look back and I, and I, and I realize it's like, you know, I was like, okay, you know, and like grateful to her, you know, but yeah, she, she, uh, took me and got me my first jobs in the Dallas Fort Worth area. So that when I was in college, you know, I was, I was dancing, uh, dancing on the weekends, um, in the Lebanese and Arabic, uh, nightclubs and restaurants, you know, pretty much full time Friday and Saturday night. That's what I did. And it was really actually thanks to her. And, you know, I met her at the dance studio. So it's all, everything was very much connected. And I'm still in touch with these people. You know, I think it's really important that you always kind of um, try to keep good relations and to stay in touch with the people um, that were there with you on your journey because the world is so small. <laughs> of course, this happens in any form of dance or any arts, you know. It's like when you work with a director, if they like you, you work with them again. So you always want to be professional and be good because you never know when you'll cross paths again. And when they have something, some project or something come up, you know, they'll think of you. So, you know, I think I learned that actually from my, from my other dance training, um, you know, just to always respect your teachers and to, you know, you have to pay your dues, you know, you don't always get what you want right away. You have to work for it. You know, it takes time. Uh, you know, I learned this a lot, you know, in, in the, with the ballet background that I have. So I, I think it, it's, it's a good way to work, whether it's in dance or in business or in life. Mm, 
so true and also such a great reminder to all artists and uh, like in this case specifically to ballet dancers who is our audience but when you stop thinking about each other as a competitors uh, and that we are divide that we, we are trying to divide the same pie but once we start treating each other as just friends and collaborators and just like uh, soul-minded people uh, that we can get a great connections and that can actually help career of each other. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and I think, I think what happens now, especially with the festivals is people are realizing, even if they weren't being very nice before, they, they need to start to understand that it is about being collaborators, because I think a lot of people, you know, when it comes to those festivals, you know, you have the producers of the festival and, and they want good teachers and they want nice people to work with. And, um, you know, it's, to me, there's always going to be the newer, the younger, the, this, the, that, the, whatever, you know, how do you stay valid and pertinent? And how do you, you know, you could be the best dancer in the world, but if people don't like you, you're not going to you know, you're not, they're, you're not coming back to that place. So, yeah, I think, I think that instead of looking at people as competitors, you look at, you look at them as, you know, Hey, there's lots of stars in the sky. You know, it doesn't, doesn't mean that one star makes a less star, less beautiful. We, we need all the stars to light up the sky and anybody else's beauty or talent doesn't really take away from your own. You just have to, you know, kind of look, look ahead and look towards look at yourself, look what you're doing. And yeah, try to be, try to be nice along the way. Of course, I, if I don't feel well from somebody, I, I just kind of avoid them, you know, but, um, and that's inevitable. You will find that in, in the business, I'm sure. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where I think if people can just say, Hey, listen, I'm going to be at this event and there's going to be five other teachers and they all have their experience They're Everybody's here for a reason and we're all different. You know, nobody's trying to be like anybody else. We all have our own signature things and our own styles and, and, uh, but you know, the things that we love and, and, you know, let's share that and let's have a great time. And I, I have found it to be so wonderful and I've met a lot of great people because of the dance. Um, you know, I feel like my life is full because of that. But yeah, I mean, sometimes it is hard because it is competitive. And, you know, when you're going to get gigs and you're trying to do the work, you know, you also, you know, sometimes you have problems like people undercut and things like that. But, um, you know, that's something else. But in general, yeah, I think I think the 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 best artists out there are the ones that know how they can be kind and get along with everybody else. Mm, yeah, and uh, I can only add that it's those people who first start with themselves uh, instead of waiting for those good things from people around them. Like, first of all, start trying to think that you are not that person who is everyone else trying to avoid. And then, uh, then things will happen and people will come and everything will be great. <laughs> Oh, yes, I believe that. I believe that, you know, sometimes you have to put it out there. And, you know, um, if you wait a lot, if you wait around on other people, maybe some things will never happen. Sometimes you have to create your own projects or, you know, especially now with um, with social media, I think it is a great platform to be able to put things out there. Like if you want to create a choreography and put videos out so people can see your work, you know, you don't always have to wait for for that. You know, before it was a little bit different. I mean, it, you know, um, 
so yeah, I mean, when I started, it was, <laughs> it was in the mid nineties, you know, we, we had cassette tapes, <laughs> you know, I mean, of course we had CDs too, but I mean, it was hard to get music. It was hard to find out about things. Um, you know, there weren't so many workshops. There certainly weren't festivals in the way that there are today. So, I mean, things have really grown, um, but it's a great way to connect. I mean, for as many bad things as can be happening with social media, um, there's also great things that can be happening because you can really educate yourself and you could really connect with people and you could really reach out. And um, I think it's, you know, I think it's an absolutely wonderful. I've seen so many changes in, in the last, you know, 20 years. I can't believe it. You know, it's just gone by so fast. But, but, um, but I think it's wonderful because it's a really great way to connect which, on, on a level that you could not do before. Mm, yeah. That's so true. Uh, I kind of want to jump forward a little bit because I know there was a lot of things happening while you still were in U.S. and even your transition to Egypt. I'm sure you have always so many questions. How how did you take that leap and jump to another country? But I really want to um, focus on one topic because you were in kind of unique position because while working in Egypt along with developing your solo career you also had your own production company and you are probably first and only American woman at least that time who started a production company in Egypt can you tell a little bit more about that because this is really something not many dancers can can talk about yeah, you know, I think I was a little crazy to do it because it was a huge responsibility and undertaking. But it was the, to me, it was a privilege. And also, it was one of those things where I learned so much, you know, oh, my goodness. Okay, so how, how it all kind of happened was, um, basically, I was working in Luxor, the first job I got uh, the first real job that I got in, um, in Egypt was a contract in Luxor. Um, and it was sponsored by Travco The the show itself did not, um, stay open too long. It was only maybe four months, but there I met a lot of really great folklore dancers. And there were other foreign girls who were classically danced, uh, classically trained dancers who, um, really were not that familiar with Oriental dance, but they did ballet and modern. So these girls later, some of them came and worked with me. So I'll, I'll, I'll get back to that. But how it started was, um, you know, we're working in this group and we're doing this show and it's a mixture of Oriental dance and, uh, you know, kind of modern contemporary. And it's kind of like a play, but it's mostly through dance. And it was choreographed by Hassan Afifi, who, who is a really famous, renowned choreographer that did a lot of work for film and television in Egypt. And I think this was one of the final projects that he actually, you know, big projects like this that he did. So it was an honor to work with him. So anyway, my partner, so my significant other, Yasser, we've been together now like over a decade, which is crazy, but he's, we were working together. And after the contract ended, we, we were thinking, well, you know, what are we going to do? And I said, you know, I had visited Sharm el-Sheikh, and I really liked it. Uh, I felt really free there as a foreigner, and there was lots of nice hotels. You know, I was like, what if we, um, what if we go there and see about, you know, just getting some work there? So we went, and um, I got some jobs as a solo belly dancer, but 
how we saw that it was going was the hotels didn't want to call call the dancer, call the tenor guy, call the folklore group, call the singer, call the band. They wanted to call one person mm-hmm. who would bring it all. So we thought, okay, well, Yasser had worked before. Um, he's from Venezuela, and uh, he had worked with the Ministry of Culture, which is called the CAFA. Sakafa group. He had worked with the Ministry of Culture dance group there uh, doing folklore for many years um, and they had toured and done festivals and stuff. So we thought, okay, listen, we've got his friends that are folklore dancers. Let's put together an Egyptian folklore group and we had the blessing and the help of his, of his mentor, uh, Muhammad El Hariri, and he, uh, may he rest in peace. He he passed away a few years ago, but he was wonderful. I'm so glad that I got to work with him because I learned a lot in the short time that we even got to collaborate. So how it happened was we said, okay, I'll do the belly dancing. We got Egyptian boys and girls from his from his troupe. They didn't have any touring dates that they were available to come to Charm and work with us. And we provided the you know the housing and the transportation and everything you know salaries and everything. Um, and this is how we started. So uh, Mr. Hariri helped us with about four choreographies, and then I did the rest. And then over time, we got more and more work. So we needed more and more people. And, you know, people would leave, maybe they got married, sometimes they would, you know, go and and do a tour, do something they had to do and come back. But over the time, more and more people started to hear about us, and other dancers started to approach us for work. Well, things were going really well, and we're working in really good hotels. Um, I think people were very, you know, of course, they were jealous when we got there. They were unhappy because, you know, they're like, who's this American lady? That's, you know, like, mm-hmm. what's she doing? But we, we did really, we, I tried really hard to keep the level high. Um, you know, and I was dancing folklore with the group, too. It wasn't like, uh, oh, I'm the star of the show. It was like, hey, you know, if somebody's missing, I'll do falahi. I'll do this. I'll sew the costumes. You know, it was really a, a labor of love. Um, but after the revolution, what happened is that a lot of work kind of went down and a lot of artists had to leave, uh, if they, if they weren't from Egypt, maybe they just didn't have the work. They didn't have the money. A lot of people left. So extra, like maybe Russian shows or other types of shows, uh, some of them traveled back to their country or they went to other places where they could, um, get good work. Well, there became, as things started to pick up again, a bigger um, need for more and different shows. So I had a lot of foreign girls contact me, you know, wanting to work. And some of them did the Egyptian folklore show. Some of them did the international dance show, and they were excellent dancers. We had all Egyptian boys. And then I had, um, when we were kind of at our biggest, we had about 50 boys and girls doing either the international dance show or the Egyptian folklore. And then I had about four guys that did Tenora. We had usually four dancers, belly dancers um, that worked for me. And then we would pick up freelance dancers if we had extra shows or parties or events. And then we had our musicians. We had uh, Tacht um, that worked every day at Marriott and at Four Seasons. Um, you know, so with everybody, I mean, it was a huge undertaking, but it was, it was wonderful. And, you know, a lot of these dancers, even today, the ones that were like based in Cairo and came and worked with us, I still work with them sometimes like at the balloon theater when I'm doing a play, you know, one of the guys that worked with me for, for many years, uh, Sama, he's an excellent dancer. He was a dance captain for a project and, you know, he was my dance partner in the show. 
So it's really great when people are like, oh, this is Vanessa. I worked with her, you know, and they're proud to say that. And, and it makes me feel good. Like I, you know, I, I did something that mattered even in their life. You know, they look back on that time. It was, it was the, it was a wonderful thing. The reason I kind of stopped the group was because the tourism had gone down and after the revolution, you know, it was kind of volatile times up and down and up and down. And some people, you know, they couldn't get direct flights to Sharm el Sheikh. And when you're working in a tourist resort area, you're depending on the tourism. So, you know, say the hotel had a contract for you five days a week, but now they're at 30% occupancy, they're going to cut it back to one or two days a week. So everybody was doing this and it was kind of like, okay, we have a huge overhead, you know, lots of, lots of people to pay and lots of, you know, just a lot of responsibility and we couldn't guarantee that the shows would happen. And like this for several years, you know, it was like that. And I just said, finally, I was like, I understand now what this means and, and what it's like. And, you know, it's just, uh, it was, it was very much like, you know, at any moment, you know, the rug could be pulled out from under you. So unfortunately, you know, there was a certain time where I had, I felt so badly because, you know, we were, we were providing work for so many people, but, um, I did place some people with other companies, uh, you know, that to, to try to help them have a smoother transition and then they could choose and see what they wanted to do. Some people were like, okay, I'll go back to my normal job. You know, we had, we had dancers with us that had degrees and, you know, had, you know, it should, could be working as accounting or could be working in, you know, all sorts of things, but they made better money dancing, by the way. Than they would in their own career. Oh wow! Hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they're providing for their families. They're sending their money back to Cairo or back to their city. So you know, I I held on for as long as I possibly could. But being you know working in the hotels, we we performed for different hotels. Kind of dealt with different types of clients. So it was really a, a, an amazing experience to learn. You know, some places uh, had a Khaliji crowd, so it was a lot of people from the Gulf. Some people had more of an Egyptian clientele. Some people had Russian or European or Italian or German or English guests. So, you know, our shows would vary a little bit depending on our guests. And, you know, maybe some places liked Egyptian belly dancers, some places like foreign belly dancers. Um, you know, so we, I learned a lot about dealing with the management. And, um, and then I also danced in the nightclubs there. So that was something separate for my group. But just, you know, dealing with the different bands. They had house bands there. You didn't have your own band. So it was a huge, you know, it was like for me, like a university, <laughs> you know, just, uh, but yeah, at some point I had to really kind of just say, you know, okay, I'm going to take the leap, which was scary, but just, you know, move to Cairo because at least there Cairo is, um, it's standing on its own and it's efficient. You know, yes, even though there is tourism, there are so many people living here, so many people getting married, um, people going out not because they're tourists, but because they live here and they're going out, they're going to dinner or, you know, they're going to go see a show. So the, the work here is sustainable without just the tourism. So this to me in the end was, was the right choice, but having the group was something that earned me a lot of respect from a lot of dancers that I never would have met if I had just been dancing solo 
all these hundreds of dancers that came in and out over those almost six years, I, 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 who knows if I would have met all them. Mm. So the, the relationships that I made and the friendships, you know, some of them really like lifelong, like I made some lifelong friends who, you know, worked for me, but we, we, you know, really some really great people, um, they they really enriched the experience, and I learned a lot about the Egyptian culture by dealing with them. Because when you're working solo, it can be very isolated. Actually, you're you're kind of you're kind of alone. So I'm so grateful for the the chance that I had. Um, and yeah, as far as I know, um, because I did kind of ask to to make sure there have been other Americans that have come here to dance, and some of them they may have had backup dancers. But as far as the production company, you're right. Um, I so far have been the only American to do that. Um, and you know, I, I still have some of the costumes when we get invited to do certain things every now and then I'll call up some of the boys and we'll, you know, do a rehearsal and we'll put something together. But there's so many groups now in, in Cairo that do just folklore. I don't like to take work away from them. Uh, we just like to cooperate with them. So if, if they call us for a wedding and they need something extra, we like to call our colleagues and, and let them do the folklore show. And then I just worry about my part. And, and that's, and, and that's a nice balance, you know, hmm. that's so, so interesting. Uh, because it's truly a unique project in terms of, uh, by a foreign dancer in Egypt and how was it you, you mentioned quite a few times that it was a great university <laughs> for you to try to manage and organize it but how was it actually from a managing point of view because it's not it may be what I'm about to say very stereotypical so correct me but in my impression it's known that usually in the Middle East or Near East in general the entertainment managing area is predominantly male area yes yes, so how was it from from, for you as a dancer as a woman how it was to be the manager of of such troupe yeah it was (laughs) well i'll tell you something it's funny so yesterday i ran it together and we would see because I would deal usually a lot with the foreign managers very, very well. And I would deal with some Egyptian managers too, because if he's Egyptian and he goes in there, they may try to talk him down on the price, but because I was foreign, I could go in there and be a little bit difficult, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, but usually we would, we would get our way because at the end of the day, we'd go in and do an audition and we would give them good quality. And so it, it was a little different with having a group. And yes, it's true. The managers are usually men. Um, and I'll tell you something, that, and this is really what I learned about the culture, you know, and it's not fair, but as a foreigner, there there were Egyptian guys in the group that, you know, their wives danced too. They both worked folklore and they worked with us together. And I know that there were times, you know, a lot of the guys, they don't really like to take any orders from women anyway. I mean, it's true. It, I mean, absolutely they really don't like to, I mean, in their culture, just in general, maybe guys don't like to hear, you know, it from women. And I wasn't trying to boss people around, but I'm like, look, if you want to work here, it goes like this. If, if, yes. if not, it's okay. You could, there's another group you can go join. But, you know, sometimes I would have to be a little bit hard, but you know what? The people were proud to work with us and they wanted to work with us. So they, they listened to me. And I think I did, 
get treated a little bit differently because I was the boss. Yeah, I'm, I'm giving the money at the end of the month. <laughs> so, you know, they they did listen to, to what needed to be done, and they did do it. And, you know, we were not afraid. This was the other thing. If people were causing problems or not doing their job, we would have to say, I'm so sorry, this is not working out. And, you know, people didn't want that. So they did kind of come around. Now, so as far as it, the employees you know, they either had to be respectful or they were not going to last. So that ended up working very well. And I think, you know, when you do a good job, you earn the respect of the people. So even if there were some managers, and I know there was a few managers who never liked me. I know that they felt threatened. There were some entertainment managers that, that got upset that maybe the food and beverage manager or the general manager, you know, hired us directly and didn't go through them. And uh, they, you know, there was a, even some hotels, you know, we, we worked for five years and for five years we had people fighting us every step of the way, trying to kick us out of there. You know, I mean, it was definitely one of those things. I grew up in a very sheltered environment, you know, really with very wonderful people. And I, I didn't have a lot of maliciousness around me or anything. So there was definitely, it was my first kind of taste. Because even in New York, I didn't experience that. Even even auditioning for, for Broadway and national tours and things like that. I mean, it's highly competitive, but I never felt like this kind of, you know, manipulative way in which people could try to do things. And I really experienced that for the first time when I was managing the group. And I was like, wow, this is okay. Like, all right, you know, don't, don't tell people what you're doing. Because, you know, some people will use that to try to sabotage you. So being a woman, it certainly was different. And yeah, it did threaten some people and some people didn't like it. And they never did like it. They never came around. But other people, they just said, hey, the work is good. We like it. They're doing a good job. It's working like this. And, you know, hey, it makes us look good. So we're going to go. And other things I learned um, as being a manager, you, you learn things like I may like a dancer. I may think she's beautiful. She may be beautiful. She may dance well. She may have great costumes. If the management doesn't like her and they say, please don't send her again, I could, I can argue and I can say, okay, yes, but the, you know, the, the guests really seem to like her. But at a certain point, you just have to say, okay. And sometimes you don't understand why, but you know, you kind of have to do what they want because they're the ones paying you. So sometimes you had to realize uh, they like this. This is what they want there at this place. And you had to look at it as, as a business perspective. You couldn't take it personally. You had to look at it as we are giving the client what they want. So that it, you had to take yourself out of it as being an artist. You know, uh, maybe they didn't. There was this one girl, oh, she was so beautiful, really, really pretty, great dancer, very fiery, and the, the European audiences loved her. The Egyptian audiences were like, what the heck is she doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the the uh, the manager, you know, it was like, he was just like, uh, I don't know what she's doing up there, but don't send her back. And, it, you know, it, it was really hard to say, okay, well, we, we're, you know, we're going to send you to this other hotel. And she's like, oh, what about this one? And, you know, you might have to say to somebody, well, you know, they, um, they wanted an Egyptian dancer. And, you know, it's, it's like, that is, that is tough. But when you're a manager, you have to deal with those types of things. And they're going to have comments. 
they're going to have, you know, there's always something they're going to say. So, you know, you want to try to give them as few things to, to talk about. But, you know, sometimes they'll talk about somebody's shoes if they, don't, if they can't find something to say, you know. So that's another thing that I learned is you can, you could think you're sending something good, but you never ultimately know what they're going to say. And they're the boss. So you just kind of have to try to accommodate them. Mm. Yeah, it's that balance between art and business. Then we are trying to survive yeah. based on them. So yeah, but it's very interesting to hear like those uh, those uh, topics and uh, like sides of the project. By the way, how was the uh, on a more I guess managing but artistic level uh, your uh, relationship with dancers? Because as I understood, not all of them were just foreigners. You mentioned that some wives of uh, your male dancers who were Egyptians, they also participate in it. Did you have any issues uh, or funny stories than you as American trying to stage a folklore show with local Egyptian dancers? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's so funny because I'll never forget the first group that came. Because once we started working and we got the reputation, the people could come and see our show and then they'd be like, oh, okay, well, this is a good show. So after we were running and working, we got a good reputation. And Egyptians, like, even if they thought they might have a problem with a foreigner or they weren't sure, they could see the show and they could see what we were doing. And then, and then that was good. But in the beginning, this was when there could be a little bit of an issue more because um, I didn't have anything to show them yet. They were starting. So, so these, I'll never forget this, the first day of rehearsal with the girls. Oh, my so they, I, I did not speak much Arabic, and they were, um, you know, completely no English, you know. There, there was one girl who spoke just a little bit of English, but they were from Yasser's uh, folklore group, and they were good. They were good, but they were good at their style um, and with their, their choreographer. So what I did is I taught the girls, the first dance I taught them was the Shamadan dance, because... This music was really good. It had a lot of detail, had a lot of nuances, and it was giving them things that a male choreographer really wouldn't in a shamadan dance. So I thought, I'm going to teach them this one because it's a little more to what I do, and they're going to have fun with it because they're going to get to do all the things they like to do, but they don't get to do with the, the usual folklore choreography. So they're sitting there with their arms crossed, and this one girl especially is kind of looking at me. She's kind of giving me the side eye. And I'm like, mm-hmm, I know which one. She's the difficult one. Okay. So anyway, they're sitting there with their arms crossed. I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the dance for you, okay, so you can see it. And then I'm going to, you know, and then we'll teach it. So they're sitting there, and I start. And slowly, slowly, they, her, her mouth kind of starts to open. And then, and then I have their attention. <laughs> and that's how I got him. That's how I got him. That's how I got one of those girls over was that dance because then they loved that dance. And we did that as our finale. And you could tell they were having that, you know, because we were doing little, you know, little tiny shoulder shimmy chest pop and, you know, all this stuff with the drums, which the, you know, usually the folklore choreographers would kind of dance through that and just do kind of combinations, you know, folklore style combinations. And I was, putting a little bit of oriental into it and the girls just loved it and that after that man that that won them over 
And those girls, they they respected, you know, they understood that I knew what I was doing. But yeah, there were there were definitely issues that would happen. There would be, you know, some disputes or some problems. You know, when you have people, you know, you'd have the girls live together. And then the boys lived in another flat. And then we had a couple like, um, like married couples, like maybe some of them even had kids or, you know, a married couple would live in a studio. You know, there were, there were issues that would happen when you get people together, you know, sometimes, oh, so-and-so, you know, everybody had their name on their costume and everybody had responsibilities. You know, you've got to put your stuff up and, you know, certain people are responsible for props. So, so-and-so left the balas at the hotel, you know, or somebody forgot this. Well, you know, you know, now it's gone. You know, there was always things happening, you know, and I felt like my house, my apartment where we stayed felt like a bus stop because everywhere, you know, every second somebody's coming, knocking on the door, <laughs> they want to talk about something. But, um, but in general, I think in the beginning, yeah, it was, it, you, I had to prove myself. But then once we were working, the people that worked with us spoke for us and the people where in the places where we worked, they spoke for us. So at the end of the day, our reputation became very good. And then I didn't have to really prove myself to any Egyptian because they, when they would see the show and they, under, they would understand. And so it, it took a while, you know, I'd say it took about, you know, it could maybe about a year, but after we were up and running, you know, I was in the position to where people were coming to us for work and I could I could say, you know, maybe you need to get a little bit more experience under your belt, which I did have to say to some people, you know, or I would hire them. I had some people who I would hire and then they would be very difficult to work with or they would conduct themselves in an embarrassing way in hotels. I had one dancer uh, after the show, like we would always get juice or coffee or something. I wasn't there that day. I, I was somewhere else dancing, and um, I found out that this one dancer ordered, like, a whiskey and Coke at the bar. And I'm like, okay, like, we are not ordering alcohol. <laughs> we are, like, we don't do that, you know. And I had to fire her because her attitude uh, in the hotel was, was embarrassing, and she, you know, she just was a certain way, and, you know, n- nothing wrong with that, but, you know, she – she had to follow protocol and um, it wasn't going to work. So yeah, we definitely had some, some things, but most of it was good. I think, I think when you set up a precedent, um, people see everyone else is following that and they themselves don't want to be embarrassed by uh, being the wrong one. So they, they follow. Yeah. It's uh, managing and dealing the troops. It's so difficult, um, not difficult, but different in nature from just being a solo artist and focusing on your own art and then delegating this logistics and organization stuff to someone else but to combine and find a balance between being an artist and trying to uh, have a nice friendly like group of people community that you are working together and at the same time being the leader and manager and being able to provide work for them it gives another pressure of sometimes being uh, stepping out and not just being a friend, but actually being a boss for them and, and doing things that necessary to be do, even if they are not very pleasant uh, for anyone. Yes, this is true. And there, there were unpleasant moments, you know, it's not pleasant to fire somebody. It's not pleasant to get told that, uh, you know, your shows are being cut because of the, you know, because of the, the occupancy and the hotels went down. I mean, I remember when the revolution happened, I was living in you know, a pretty nice apartment. And uh, I 
immediately, you know, this was towards the end of January, and by February 1st, I had moved into the staff house, and I told everybody, I said, listen, we're going to have to cut salaries because all of a sudden now we have all this less work, and if you want to go on vacation, go. If you want to, you know, if you agree that you want to stay, we, we have to cut it a little bit because we can't, we just can't, you know, either we work or we just stop. So everybody's either going to have to agree to take a little bit less you know, and at the end of the day, we were making like community meals, we were like cooking together, and it actually brought us really together. That was one of the funnest times, even though it was very stressful work-wise, it was one of the funnest times that, um, you know, that I can remember community-wise with the group, um, you know, and a lot of wonderful memories. Actually, there's some pictures that are on my website that are of the group that I took at Four Seasons, and you know, there, there wasn't as much work. So I said, Hey guys, let's do a photo shoot. You know, we're, we're free. We can, I made up some new stuff. You know, it was kind of a time I could say, well, let's do some other things we never had time to do, you know, cause we have a little more free time. So let's do those things. And, and so, you know, it, I tried to use the, you know, make lemonade out of lemons. Um, but yeah, it, you know, I gotta tell you having the group, because when I did have the group, I was not teaching internationally. I was not touring. And back then, it, we were so busy. There wasn't time to take a selfie backstage. We were running from one hotel to the next. I mean, it was, we barely had time just to get changed and get on the stage at, you know, at the right time. So it was, I was very much putting the group first and, and my teaching and solo career, even though I was dancing, and yes, I was getting some invitations, I couldn't focus on that. So there's, you could see a huge jump all of a sudden, you know, I, it kind of started in 2013, I started to get some work outside, so I traveled, and, and then I started to get more and more, and then when I came to Cairo, it was like, boom, and then I, and then I could leave, if I was working as a soloist, I could just say, I'm, I'm going to be gone, and they could just find a replacement, or I could find a replacement, and then, you know, I was able to, to do more as far as that goes. But, yeah, if you have a group, it's really, you know, you're responsible for it. And I think I had to put a lot of things I wanted to do uh, on the back burner while I took care of the responsibilities of the group. Mm. I kind of also feel that you keep uh, moving from one interesting, unique project to another interesting, unique project. And I know you have a lot, and I'm just picking some of them that you can cover in this interview. But you're currently involved in another uh, interesting uh, artistic adventure <laughs> that is not very common to be involved as a foreign dancer. And it's a play at uh, Balloon uh, Theater. It is, um, can you actually tell a little bit more yourself? Because I feel you will give more <laughs> details and uh, interesting uh, insight into what this play is about and what is the significance of, of this whole project. Sure, yes. Well, the Masrah al Balloon, which is the Balloon Theater, this is the famous theater and it's run by the government. Um, it has it houses the Reda troupe, which was uh, originally Mahmoud Reda originated this troupe, and then later uh, Egypt, the the government, um, he kind of sold, sold that troupe over to the government, and then he had his own private troupe where they would go do certain things. But th it's a big deal because the Ferret Reda Reda troupe and the Kalmea troupe both have rehearsal halls there, and they perform on that stage. So. 
um, this theater. It's called the Balloon Theater because the ceiling, it's like a big round structure uh, with metal and then it's kind of covered in, you know, uh, I don't know exactly what sort of material it is, but it's big, like a, looks like a balloon at the top because it's big and round. So that's why they called it the Balloon Theater. Um, But this theater... Uh, the projects that go through it are um, kind of, they, they're through the government. So they have to be approved by the Minister of Culture. And right now, the Minister of Culture uh, is Madame Inez, and it's a woman, which is wonderful. Um, so the, they just renovated the theater two years ago. And Dr. Azil Abdu, who is now, he's the chief of the Balloon Theater, um, he has directed this the play that was the grand opening of the Balloon Theater, and then he's directing this other play now, uh, which is called Cert del Hope, um, which is talk of love or a lot of, talk, you know, it's like a long journey about the talking of love. And it's about the, it's a tribute and it's about the life of the very famous Egyptian composer, Balik Hamdi. And Belich Hamdi uh, composed Alf Leila and Sert El Hope and Ghan uh, Hawa and uh, Beheya and I mean so many songs. Uh, Lisa Fecker. I mean I can't I can't even think of them all. But it's, there's so many great wonderful songs in this play. But this this is about his music and his life. So it's wonderful and. Uh, the singers, you know, one one singer, her name is Nahla Khalil. She plays uh, Um Kalsum, and Marwa Nagy, who I worked with in the in the grand opening. She's playing uh, a character that kind of leads you through the story. Um, she's kind of the connecting tie that they wrote in, you know. Um, and then uh, there's a very famous singer and actor named Ihad Fahmi, and he's playing Billy Hamdi. And there's many other wonderful, notable. Um, actors and artists and singers that are that are in this project so it's you know it's one of those fantastic things because it it is it's a play the subject matter is is so rich because the music is so good and it's about his life and and the story and he knew he worked with all these famous singers so like all the people all the songs that we dance on that's his music Mm -hmm. so of course I was wanting to be part of this now the the interesting and ironic part is that there's no belly dancing in the show. <laughs> so the dance, the dance that the, the ensemble is doing is more kind of ballet and contemporary. And the director, Dr. Adel, he put me first as doing a, a little bit of acting in French because uh, I believe Hamdi lived in Paris for a while and there was just a small little part. Um, but anyway, I had to travel to go to America and, and teach and the, the play was late and then they finally opened. And so anyway, the, the French part, um, one of the other people took it over and that was fine. And then I had a solo part for Alf Leila. And so what I'm doing is I'm actually dancing as a soloist with the ensemble and I'm doing a mixture between they're wearing kind of a modern contemporary, the girls and boys are wearing pants. And so I'm wearing kind of a costume that's uh it's a little bit more contemporary, so it's got pants and it's, uh, kind of, you know, it's covered because this is the balloon theater. It's government issued, like you have to be, it has to be approved. So, you know, everything, you know, you're wearing, you're covered. You're, and when I say covered, I don't mean like you're wearing a belly dance costume with a stomach uh, mesh. I mean, you, you're wearing a dress, 
or you're wearing pants and it's you know it's very elegant and but it has to it has to be something that will not offend the people because this is these some of these people don't like rock sharky at all and we want to bring it in a way that is approachable for them and in a way that they will um accept it and i know that sounds really ironic and kind of crazy but but that's that's how it is right now um so so anyway in this piece i am dancing a little bit of uh, the modern and contemporary with the group and improvising and doing some of the oriental when the music changes. So I'm doing a mix and it's actually, I started off just doing oriental and wearing a dress. Um, and then, you know, I saw a video and saw what the, they were doing and how they were wearing pants. And we decided, you know, um, I could change my costume, make it a little bit more contemporary. And, you know, I, my diploma is in ballet, so I, I do have the, the background for that. So I said, okay, you know, I could do some of the things they're doing. I could do some of the pirouettes, some of the stuff, and incorporate between their their work and my work with the music. And so far, the people have really loved that, and they've really enjoyed it. And um, so this, alhamdulillah, for that. But it's for me, it's not about me getting to dance on the stage, because I get to dance a lot, and I've been very lucky. But it's about the fact that I get to work with so many wonderful artists, and really uh, interesting people are coming to see the play every day. So it's like a great way to get to be meeting and networking um, with other directors and other actors for other things. So um, if I was just dancing in the hotel, as I usually do, these people wouldn't even know necessarily to come to see me. They don't, you know, some of them may know me, but some of them don't. But being in the play, a wonderful way to be part of something to me, which is very important. I don't know when I'll have the opportunity to dance as a soloist to Balik Hamdi with a, one of the best uh, maestros with the, with the orchestra, you know, on a stage like that. When will I have that opportunity again? I don't know. So I'm really grateful you know, sometimes in the life you just feel like, you know what, I'm going to be doing this. It's only a few weeks or it's only a month out of my life, but it's, it's important. It's, it's, uh, it's something which I will regret if I don't do it. And, and so I'm really happy to be part of that. Mm. You know, also listening to you, I realized that all the situation, it's uh, ironic in two, two major senses. Like first, uh, all the songs that you mentioned, they're so common to ballad dancers. We always like, it's these songs to ballad dance. Like we are so used to it. But at the same time there, they don't allow and they don't want to have ballad dance to Alfleyla. And on another side, why it's so ironic, because in Baladin's community, we always have these discussions, oh, don't, uh, uh, don't fuse any other styles into Baladin, special to classical songs, just keep it very traditional Baladin, like don't put uh, elements from ballet or modern or any other like dance styles. But here you're talking about play in Egypt, in an important Egyptian theater, uh, basically approved by government and they actually actively taking this music and putting mostly ballet and modern and contemporary stuff to this music avoiding having what's in the ballet dance community we would think that is this is the most appropriate as from dance point of view to perform to this song so it's really really ironic like these two two things to to hear about this project 
Absolutely. No, it's really funny. And you are absolutely right. And I was just thinking of that because actually yesterday I was like, man, this is like, you know, I mean, some people would be like, what the heck is going on? But here's the funny thing. Okay, number one, we have to remember these songs that we dance on were some of them, most of them were not made for dance. Mm -hmm. They were made for the singers. We later decided to dance on them because they're good. Okay, but they were not created as a mezance or as a, uh, they weren't created. I mean, later, like, okay, Nagwa Fawad had composers create songs for her or entrance pieces or things. And there are some songs that were just great to dance on, but they weren't created as a song to dance on. They were created as songs to be sung. But so this is, this is the first point that we have to remember. The second thing is, I think it's different when it comes to folklore. They have these songs that, the, like the folklore groups, they, they will do these straight-up traditional folklore. And if for some reason in Egypt, there's this complete double standard where ballet and the opera, if you're in the opera and the ballet, this is respectful. But if you're a ra'asa, if you're a belly dancer, it's not respectful. This is a, something that we have to deal with all the time. Now, fanana means artist where Asa is like a dancer, dancing girl. So to be a fanana, to, be, to show them that you understand the art. So what's weird is in some way, because I, I did it for a couple of days because I, I traveled to America, and then when I came back, I first went into the show just doing as I was doing in the rehearsal, which was just straight up, strict rock sharky movement, with the group doing their part, and I was wearing a dress. And, of course, I was covered from my neck to my toe. I had mesh uh, leggings with rhinestones on it, so they could see beige shorts. <laughs> the, the dress uh, we call fustan, it's a dress. It was uh, beige and gold, and it's all covered, covered, but beautiful. Very, you know, it looked great on the stage. But, uh, but the point is, is that, you know, the, the choreographer had already created this dance for the for the the group, mm -hmm. and it was more modern. So when, when we saw the video, it didn't look bad, but I can do more, and I can do, I can do the things that they're doing. And so we decided, okay, we're, let us, now that we see the whole look, because when they were dancing before, I didn't even know what they were wearing. Were the girls going to wear dresses? We didn't even know what the set would be like when we were in rehearsal, what the costumes would be like. I had no idea. So when I saw it already done, we saw the backdrop, we saw the background, we saw what they were wearing and how it was looking. It was like, okay, well, this is okay, but we could do better. But the only thing that has to change, we're not going to change them now, okay? This is a group. We can only change me. <laughs> and fortunately, the director gave me, I mean, this never happens either. I mean, when does this happen where you're just like, okay, do, do you know what to do? He basically gave me license to, to do well, whatever I wanted, which like that I know because I, for all this time, I mean, that never happens. I mean, as a, as a belly dancer, when you're doing Rock Sharky, of course, all I do is improvise, but that's my own show that I'm running, not, hey, you're in a play, you're doing a solo, do whatever you want. Um, so it's been great to have that sort of freedom, and I feel really lucky. Um, but, I mean, anyway, so as we looked at it, it was like, okay, well, let us adapt it a little bit to make it work 
as a whole together total, not just this is one thing and this is something entirely different and it's not going together. So even though originally you hear Alf Layla and you just want to do the traditional rock sharky moves, if the choreographer had already created this kind of more modern, but that's the thing in Egypt. When it comes to the theater, it's a different sort of audience than it would be, you know, uh, going to see a belly dancer at a restaurant or a hotel or a nightclub. It's a totally different thing. So they want to elevate it. And for them, their way of elevating it in their mind is making something more balletic or more modern. And it's okay for the play. So it's, it's kind of an interesting sort of double standard, and, but it's their standard, and I'm not going to argue with it because I'm, I'm the lucky one who's able to be up there doing it. So whatever makes them happy, whatever is going to make them proud to say, yes, we're glad that we brought this person, and hey, you know, she's, this artist, is, she does rock sharky as a living, but she also has a background in dance and in ballet. She can do these things. And I mean, the director was very happy because I made the changes, and he said, you know what? It's actually, it works. It's really good. And it's even better. It, it, it even looks better than it did before, you know? So, hey, that's okay. I can do my regular belly dance and my regular belly dance shows. But for this play, this is how it's going. And, you know, again, it's kind of that idea of looking at the business of it. Like, what do they want? What do they need? It's not always up to me. You know, sometimes when you're doing your own creative project, like say if I'm doing a performance like for a, for a festival, well, this is my work and what I want to put out there so I can have a complete say in what it is that I'm going to do. But if I'm doing something for a theater or at a hotel, they may want the show a certain format. And I really need to be able to adapt to give them what it is that they want. Otherwise, they, they can, they'll get somebody else who will. How did you get involved even in this place as a ballet, uh, play as a ballet dancer? Uh, because they probably could have just got someone, I don't know, contemporary or modern. Or you were first involved there as an actor and then dance part came later. Well, I, I worked with Dr. Adil Abdu for Bethel Fan, which was the grand opening of the Balloon Theater a, a couple of years ago. Um, we started rehearsals in 2016, but they opened in 2017. So he, I was dancing in the ensemble, in the ballet ensemble, um, and it was, you know, I, and that's where I was actually dancing. My dance partner was Sama, who was the, the guy that worked in my group from years before. Mm -hmm. So there was actually three, about three people in that, in that group that had worked for me at different times, which was really cool. Um, and we had a great time in rehearsals. But because the director already knew that I was versatile, he knew I was already working as a belly dancer, but then I'm but I also could dance classically, you know, I classically trained, so I could do the ballet and the contemporary. He was kind of wanting me to dance in the ensemble again. But by the time that I joined, they had pretty much already done everything. And he said, okay, well, I could give you, you know, I was able to take this little acting part in the French and I was able to, he, he said, okay, we'll put you as a soloist anyway. Um, and so anyway, that worked out. So he, it wasn't that he wanted a belly dancer. He didn't want a belly dancer. He didn't. And, and when, when I was traveling, he didn't replace my part. It just didn't exist. The group just did their dance. So when I came in, I went into it. 
but um, it wasn't like he was looking for that. He didn't want a belly dancer. He just wanted a soloist because all of the other songs had singers singing lyrics. So each of the songs in the play, there's always a singer singing. Alfleila was the only song where there was no singer on the stage and it was just the ensemble. So having a solo dancer kind of takes the place of having the singer to have your focus on. Mm-hmm. So that was his idea, and he was going to utilize me in that capacity. But I think what he really wanted was something more closer to what I'm doing now, which is the mixture of the two. So now he's satisfied with that. Um, and, you know, for me it's great because, hey, people can be like, oh, look, you know, she's versatile. I mean, when else do I get to do something like that? I, I don't get to do that in my normal shows. So for me, it's it's a really fun thing to get to do, you know. Um, you know, it's, it's just kind of one of those things that just kind of evolved. You know, it happened very organically. It's like, oh, okay, well, let's look at the video. Oh, you know, they're wearing pants. Uh, dress looks kind of weird. Okay, well, I could I could change my costume and I could now that I'm wearing pants, well, I could do some of these things, too. And it just kind of, you know, it really evolved. And, and that's how it went. But yeah, you're right. It, it is. It is kind of ironic. Um, but but that's the thing here. They, they have a respect for for ballet. Um, but it, it, it seems as, you know, it, it's not everybody is so open minded when it comes to rock sharky. And that is that is really unfortunate. You know, your story is this project, like on one side, someone can tell like, oh, it's a matter of like luck and the stars aligned, which is true in some way. But on another side, it's a perfect example that, yes, luck, we all need this luck, but you also need to be ready. Then this luck comes that people, that the person understands the environment and expectations that people around provide that sort of luck. They know about you, they know your skills, they know your capacity. So it's, uh, we still need to do a lot of homework <laughs> to be ready to that moment that the stars aligned and they give this uh, lucky opportunity to be involved in some project that it's, uh, it's never just a, a uh, matter of pure luck it's sort of a matter of uh, i guess manifestation through your uh, all previous work that you get this opportunity to do what you want and uh yeah i, I love your story and uh, it's so interesting where the one can see this play now okay so if anybody is in cairo <laughs> come to the balloon theater we are we are playing every day for the next couple weeks. So now it's the first of uh, second of March. We're at the beginning of March. So mm-hmm. probably I don't, as far as I know, because if they're going to extend, they'll let us know, but you know, we, we don't always know these things right away. It should be going at least for another couple of weeks every day, except for Tuesday at 9 PM. And um, so this is at the balloon theater and it's in Aguza in, uh, in, in Cairo. Um, anyway, this is where it is, and if it, if it will extend, um, you know, I could post on Facebook uh, on my page. I'm posting pictures usually every day uh, from the show. But, yeah, as far as I know, we have a couple more weeks left. Um, and then after that, there's just only a little bit of March and April, and then Ramadan will start in May. So uh, maybe I'll be doing another play, another project. Last year I did a play in Ramadan because in Cairo there's really no belly dancing. Mm-hmm. in Ramadan. So it's a great time to tour. I'll be 
uh, traveling at the end of that month. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, the Balloon Theater is um, always there's something going on there. If it's not the play that I'm involved in, it's going to be another great production. Um, and they have several theaters, but the biggest theater inside is the main, the main theater is where we are. Um, and uh, it's, you know, it's one of those things. I remember the first time I walked onto the stage for a rehearsal, you know, it really felt like I wanted to cry. <laughs> I was like, I know it sounds silly, but, you know, it's like my, even though they've redone the stage, I'm sure it's a different wood than the wood that was there, you know, years ago. But it's mm. like Mahmoud Reda and Farida Fahmi danced on this stage, <laughs> you know, in this space, in this place where I'm standing. It's, you know, there's been so many great artists that have worked there. It it just feels, um, it feels kind of surreal and, and magical. And, and what you said about being ready, you know, I, I had a dance teacher in Texas that I, I took ballet and jazz at her studio. She had a piece of paper up on the wall. I mean, it wasn't even like a sign. It was literally like a typed out thing taped on the wall. And it said, success is when preparation meets opportunity. And that's exactly what you said. You know, it's like you can get lucky, but if you're not prepared, you know, you, it, the opportunity may not present itself again. You know, so it's one of those, it's one of those things where um, I feel like I have been very lucky. Um, I could not have done all of this alone. I mean, you, ha- you know, the, the thing that helped me be able to get to Egypt and even be prepared, my mentor, Gamila Elmastri, I have to say something about her because she's, she's in New York. Um, but she's the one. She's the one that told me the words, you know, with a little bit of tough love. She was like, yeah, you're good. You're, you're good. You're a good dancer. You're not really doing our dance, though. <laughs> and she handed me a VHS tape of uh, some Mahmoud Reda stuff that she had. She's like, you need to watch this and learn. And uh, I have to thank her because if it hadn't been for, for her guidance and for her knowledge and, um, you know, and a little bit of tough love and a little bit of like, hey, you know, you have the potential, but I'm not seeing it yet. Um, you know, I don't think I would have been able to to come here and be able to work as I have. So it, there's always people behind you that help you, and um, there's always people who believe in you, and like this director and, and like the, the artists, the dancers that worked in my group who believed in me and who were proud to be there. You know, I, I don't think I would have been able to do any of these things if it hadn't been for that sort of support in some way from the different people uh, that I worked with all along the way. Mm, so, so true. <laughs> I also feel that you have such an unusual path as a ballet dance, foreign ballet dancer who moved uh, to Egypt and worked there. And I know we covered only a couple of projects because uh, I really wanted to dig into this too during the interview because they are really, really uh, brought caught my attention as really unusual but you have so much more uh, to share and tell us and I hope we can do one more interview at some point in the future I'm sure our listeners <laughs> I'm sure our listeners would love to hear more uh, but uh, I would like to really uh, thank you for taking time and sharing all these uh, 
insights uh, with us today because it's not often that we can hear those kind of stories and about those kind of projects uh, from with from inside <laughs> how how it's going so thank you so much for being so open and and sharing uh, all this uh, on the podcast today <laughs> you are most welcome it has been just a pleasure to chat with you and anytime i would be absolutely thrilled to do another podcast and talk about any of the experiences just with the day-to-day or whatever it is you want to know. But thank you, thank you, thank you so much for including me in this work that you're doing and for really bringing awareness and, uh, and great ideas and wonderful positive energy. You know, I was listening to some of your podcasts with the other artists and you're a very uplifting person and very, very kind. And I, I really can't wait to meet you in person and give you a big hug. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Well, I hope you'll have such opportunity because I'll just give a shout out to, to my friends from Yamar who are bringing you to Toronto in June. <laughs> so oh, hopefully yes, if yes. I'm not away, I'm looking forward to, to attend your workshops here. <laughs> Oh, that will be fantastic. Yay. Well, I hope it can happen. Yes. <laughs> I hope you'll be in town. That would be so wonderful to get to, to meet you finally. And uh, thank you again. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's always my pleasure to talk to amazing artists and hearing this uh, awesomeness that we don't see usually on the performances or videos or live, like to hear insights. And I always, if you listen to some of the previous episodes, you probably know that I always traditionally close every interview with our signature question. And uh, the question is, what makes you fall in love with ballet dance? And in this case, I will actually say in general with Egyptian dance. What makes you fall in love with Egyptian dance again and again? So you keep doing it for so many years. Oh, well, I mean, I would say it's it's a combination of things, probably, but I would say the music is super important, especially in Egypt, because the people, they love the music. So it's the energy that you get when you feel that the people are with you on a journey. You know, it's not like, hey, let me show off, let me show you all the moves I can do. I mean... When you're teaching, I know it's important that you have some skill, yes, but as a performer also, I think what it really is, is the feeling of knowing that these people, they're there with you and, and they're, they're, they're enjoying the journey with you. And I think it's because of the music. I think the music is what takes you there and it, it kind of brings people together, whether it's for weddings or whether it's even strangers that are just sitting next to each other and there's a good song and they kind of look over at each other and just kind of nod their head. You know, I see that all the time where people are just, you know, it's a, it's a community thing and it's a feeling that uh, it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter where you're coming from. Music brings people together and, and so does dance. And, and I feel that that is something that will hopefully never change. And that is what makes me continue. <laughs> and, and I hope that, uh, I hope that, you know, I'll be dancing, you know, whether it's going to be in my house or wherever it is and, and until, until the, my last breath, I really hope that I'll be enjoying that music because that's what it's about for me. Guys, Thank you so much for spending this time with us. And if you like this episode, it will mean a world to me if you take a few seconds and leave us a review on iTunes or share it with your friends. Also, you can always find more information about podcast as well as past episodes 
at yanadance.com slash podcast. As well as you can connect with me on social media by Yana Dance or Yana Komarnitska. I'm very active on Instagram as well as Facebook and share a lot of tips and inspiration for your daily ballet dance life. And by the way, don't forget to subscribe to podcast so you never miss a future episode. And until next time, keep shimming.